You're listening to episode 11 of House Sitting Legends. This episode is proudly brought to you by House Carers, the longest running international matchmaking platform for house sitters and homeowners. Go now to housesittingworld.com forward slash carers to get 10% off your membership today. You have arrived into the world of house sitting legends, the place where epic tales are told and pearls of wisdom flow freely. Join us as we meet those going above and beyond the call of duty, caring for homes and pets across the globe. Welcome to the House Sitting Legends Podcast. Immerse yourself in the wonders of international house sitting and unleash your inspiration for freedom and world travel. And now your hosts, Nat and Jody. Hi, welcome along to today's episode where we are talking, I guess you could say, just down the road from here in Mexico to uh, Guatemala, but also to our fellow Antipodeans, so one of our Southern Hemisphere buddies from that extra state of Australia called New Zealand, I believe. Is that right, Martin? <laughs> Ooh, boot hiss. That's not a good start. <laughs> we'll let you off because we're, we're, all, in the, we're all in this sort of... Uh, um, antipodeans abroad kind of uh, scenario now. So we all love good. each other now. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. And, and it's always about those uh, friendly little um, friendly little jabs wherever we can get them in. So it's really yeah. special talking to Martin today for two reasons, because here he is representing uh, the solo male house sitter, mm. but also the fact that you've actually been doing this. I think today you are taking the record. You have been house sitting the longest out of everybody we've spoken spoken to. So eight years, is that correct? Eight years. Literally, I can give you the date. It was June the 22nd when I started my first house at, um, back in New Zealand in Auckland region. Wow. That's very, very cool. Very cool. So um, eight years. Then I'm going to have to push you on the spot. We can do this with a guy. We can't do this with a girl too easily. But um, so does that mean you started in your mid-40s? Um, I was 46. Okay. There you go. There you go. Guess. Thank you so much. Because <laughs> we're just about there too. Well, yeah. that is, I'm not. <laughs> uh, so basically, I've given you a bit of a, a rundown. Martin's actually been a, a member of the Facebook group, the House Sitting Well Facebook group, um, for a long time now and has contributed some amazing tips, tricks and advice to people traveling, particularly around Central America. Uh, and, you know, is that mainly where you have been house-sitting or have you been, uh, you said you started in New Zealand, but you've had majority of the time recently in Central America? In the last, literally in the last 36 months, I've spent 30 of them between the top of Mexico and the bottom of Panama. And I've now done four sits in Panama, one in Costa Rica, one in Guatemala, and I'm due to go back to Belize shortly to do another one that I did last year. So, yeah, this is, this is my territory now. Excellent. So you're house-sitting on your own, but you do have a girlfriend from Colombia. Did you meet her in Colombia or in Panama? Was no, it? We, met on, we met online. Oh, goodness. We met online six years ago. And um, when I was traveling three years ago through Mexico, it was just that was the right time. And I, I paid for her a ticket. She wanted to meet in a neutral country. And we met in Panama, spent a great month traveling together. Since when she's decided to stay on in Panama. And um, so that means Mohammed has to go to the mountain a lot more to see her. And <laughs> back, down there next, back down the next month. And I already have a couple of uh, people in a, in a local neighborhood near Panama City 
that I'll be doing house sits for down there. So it's starting to work out. Very cool. So she goes with you on the house sits then when you're in Panama, but she hasn't been to any of the other places as yet. Less less so at the moment. She has her own life as well, and she's working, and um, it isn't always convenient for me to be running her into the city at ridiculous times in the morning. So we... Yeah, we're still negotiating how this thing works, but it's always good to see her. That's my, that's my main draw card for going to Panama. That's great. Very exciting. And uh, how have you found house-sitting as a single male? Like, obviously, now you've got a ton of experience under your belt, so obviously it's not difficult at all, and no doubt many, many contacts throughout Central America. But when you first started, which was many years ago now, and house-sitting actually hadn't really probably kicked off as much as it has now, how did you find it getting started? Well, at first I signed up with a local agency in New Zealand, in Auckland, that was operating. And uh, am I allowed to mention names? Or? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Sure. I think they're just called homesit.com. And they, they operate like a little franchise. They're mostly in Auckland, but there are little pods in other parts of the country. And I started doing house sits through them, you know, applied with references and police check. And... Um, as you do good sits for, for people, they obviously think, oh, well, we'll get this guy back again. Um, I've, I've lived on my own pretty well a lot of my adult life, and I've, I've, I've been a homeowner, I've been a tenant, I've been a landlord, and now a house sitter. So it comes fairly easy for me to turn up at a new place and go, okay, what do we need to do here? Mm. Get the rules clear with the, the owners and um, just implement them, you know, take responsibility. Uh, I've never thought about it that... Um, oh, I'm a single guy doing house sitting. I don't think of it like that. Um, I just think, well, you know, if something needs doing, you, you do it, or you contact the tradespeople that they've left you a list of, or you, if uh, often, you can contact the homeowner directly uh, if there's anything that you, you can't work out, or if that's their chosen method, contact us first. Yeah. Um, and I have a story. I have a story or two if, uh, if we have time that there was one opportunity that I really had to operate something on my own and it wasn't an easy thing to do. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's probably a good time to mention that because I believe uh, from what you sort of shared with us briefly as well, some of these original experiences, and it's certainly been in our case where um, those original experiences where you're having to deal with different things that maybe are outside of the scope of the normal set, um, oh. and if the communication's not there or what have you, it all they do is just help you set your future boundaries, knowing exactly what you need to communicate and clarify with the homeowner before getting started. Uh, but I think sometimes, and you know, tell me if you disagree or not, but I think sometimes you need to almost be thrown in the deep end to really help identify those things. So if you can tell us about one of your first experiences where, I guess, you know, that communication thing <laughs> became prevalent mm, to you. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it was, it was a relatively early one, I'd say five or six years ago in New Zealand, in a rural area, nice family, nice home. They had a lot of rescue animals, mostly cats, very old cats. And they were, you know, they're their children, they're the family. Anyway, this couple, I did a good job for them, and uh, they invited me back a second time. The main issue of care was that their oldest cat, a 17-year-old cat, was diabetic. I'd never heard of a diabetic cat before, mm -hmm. but I have now. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, this cat required insulin injections twice a day. Mm. So I, I was able to visit the family first, and we checked it out. He demonstrated um, and was very happy that, that I could take on the, the house sit for them. Well, on the second time, this aged cat, 
um, started having, I guess it's uh, hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic reactions. Right. And I had to have direct contact with the vet to administer extra glucose or whatever it was to try to balance these. But the poor cat was starting to go up and down, up and down every day. Mm. And I was not able to have contact with the owner at this time. They were in the middle of a cruise in the Atlantic somewhere. and um, But they knew the situation. They were realistic people. And they said, look, if, if ever Fluffy the cat does you know, hit the brick wall, we trust you with our vet to do what you believe is the best to do. Yeah. Well, quite early on in my, my house-sitting experience, I had to therefore um, activate to euthanize the cat, not wow. me personally, but um, yes. uh, so I contacted the vet who was not far away and he knew the family, knew all the animals and their history, and he came round and did what was necessary. Um, then, of course, I had another week to wait before the owners came back, before I could even tell them. So, you, you, you know, you have to sort of get, oh, my goodness, how, how do I broach this? Do I, mm. do I let them get in the front door and settle down and tell me about it? You know, so you just have to play that by ear. But it was a comfort to know we're all mature adults. They, they'd mapped everything out in fine detail, super details. Um, and we had an agreement, and therefore I stepped up to say, well, they've given me this authority, I will take that responsibility mm. and, um, and deal with the communication of that. Yeah. So not an easy one. Yeah. No, definitely not an easy one, that one. And I guess no matter what, like even with that sort of um, permission as such uh, to, to take charge, I mean, it's still, you know, when you're trying to get in touch, it's almost like, oh, they, it is their pet. I just want to double check with them. I want to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least, as I say, the vet uh, locally, because this family had a reputation of taking on many care animals over many years, the vet was kind of, you know, their, their in-house go-to person anyway. So it was kind of a, a joint thing that we agreed on. But obviously, he wasn't going to allow me to allow the cat to suffer. Mm. But he knew that that was my responsibility as the house sitter to act on behalf of the owners. Mm. Yeah, look, I think that's definitely a, um, you know, a going kind of above and beyond the call of duty because you, you did have to step it up. But it sounds like it all worked out as it should. It's just more those, I guess, bringing to people's awareness, like listening to this now, sort of going, oh, could I do that? You know, it might be something you could ask yourself um, if, you, mm -hmm. if you know you're going into a property that has aged animals. It could be in any situation, though, because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Do, do the windows blow in on a storm? Does the... You know, do three of the cows that they own in the pasture on some of these big properties, do they suddenly go lame? And you, you can't predict. But as you pointed out early on in the conversation, you really need to get these communication things. Try to think as much as possible um, and ask those questions and make sure you do know the answers or you know how to contact them if you don't have the answers. Mm. And I would say one other thing that, in my experience now, especially in New Zealand, a lot of people have used house sitters before. They have like an owner's manual of, you know, this is how the generator works. This is where the medication is kept. This is, you know, we leave you $200 cash if you need to get X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, they're generally well covered. And if they're not and you present the opportunity to get clear, they really appreciate that as part of the service, part of the uh, the proactive thinking ahead on their behalf. It is a service. It's not a holiday. 
Absolutely. Yeah, definitely is. And I think uh, doing these podcasts and talking to people like yourself is actually really showing that. Um, you know, yes, we get to enjoy ourselves definitely in the area and with the pets and stuff like that, but there are a lot of responsibilities that go with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to just uh, bring up, if I don't mind, Martin, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but uh, I, I did want to kind of go straight into that. Like, as much as it sounds horrible to say that a euthanasia story is actually kind of a bit of a nicer story um, in the sense that you had such a great relationship with the owners and the vet um, and, of course, the animal as well. But uh, I think you were telling me about a place that you actually had to overlook or oversee some construction that didn't go quite as well. It was something like that. It was my, it was my first house sit in Central America two years ago in Panama. And... Um, I, I obviously interviewed well over Skype, and they lined me up for the job. I flew down there, and um, they, they had a little introduction party the day before they left to all the neighbors and to meet the, the gardeners and the house cleaner, who kind of semi-lived on the property. But, um, you know, and I speak good Spanish, and I'm an experienced house sitter, so I understood that I had understood what was required of me. Hmm. And the homeowner told me, well... This, uh, our gardener comes in at 8 o'clock, he starts work at 8 o'clock, he finishes at 3 o'clock, Monday to Saturday. Now, I, from my Western mentality, just assume, well, if that's the hours and this is an employee, I bet I'll just keep an eye that those things are being correctly adhered to. Yep. Well, it seems like I've got that wrong. That, um, with not really understanding the culture in the same way and the sensitivity nor the relationship over many years between this employee and the homeowner, which is, I learned was very, very much more chummy than even local people thought was healthy. Mm. That's not the point. The point was that I assumed that I should be checking on his hours, and his hours were very irregular, which we do find in Central America. And I started to bring this to his attention. And say, look, I'm responsible for the security of who's coming and going on this gated property. And, um, you know, if you're not going to be turning up or whatever, or you disappear early, could you please just let me know? Yeah. And it was kind of okay, but this went on. And then he started getting really irritated and aggressive towards me mm -hmm. in such that he couldn't even, he wouldn't even accept any um, instructions or greetings in the morning. Now, this was getting out of hand, and I was in an initial contact by email with the owners in France at the time and they, they kind of said oh we'll just try to play it a little easy but he was getting quite aggressive and I can understand why now but um, the more I tried to get some intervention or advice or placation from the owners the further he, the owner retreated from communicating with me <laughs> but I started hearing from neighbors that the owner had been in touch with them, checking that I was doing my job properly. Oh. And this, this started to undermine my authority to look after their property. Mm. And he simply was, was refusing to contact me directly, whom he'd employed. Mm. When they came back, now a few of the neighbors said, oh, well, that's him, he's a gruff old bugger, you know. Um, but nevertheless, I'm employed by him to... to you know, for three months to take a lot of responsibility. Mm. And I was really uncomfortable that I, I couldn't win either way here. In the end, when they came home, he refused to communicate with me. He wouldn't look me in the eye. He was like a sulking teenager. <laughs> and 
I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm always self-righteous and he was wrong. I clearly overstepped the mark and got some things wrong. Mm. But the difficult thing was I couldn't rectify it in action. And therefore, I took self-appointed steps and um, suggested that this man stop coming in until the homeowner returned. And that was, of course, potentially cutting off his income, ruining his, you know, losing face, um, potentially damaging his relationship with his with his boss. Um, But nevertheless, something needed to be done. And I took that decision and I had to eat a little humble pie at the end of it. And I've learned immensely. I've now done six more Central American house six. Mm. I've more into the mindset. I've allowed myself to become less rigid. Um, but nevertheless, you know, you've got to communicate and, and don't make assumptions. That would be my advice to myself if I were doing this again. Yeah. Don't make <laughs> assumptions that they want you to play boss over these people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's always some really deep relationships between, uh, you know, some of the stuff. Because sometimes, I guess, particularly at, you know, we're experiencing Mexico here and we've only ever been in uh, Costa Rica as well. But, um, you know, they have these kind of like deep, almost family-type relationships at times. Yeah, father. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of difficult. I mean, we, we had a couple of people talk about in the group where, uh, they've gotten to a house sit and they might actually have a, uh, a staff member, whether it be a maid or a gardener or somebody that actually lives on site with them. Yes. Um, so that question yes. was sort of put out to say, who else would be comfortable with this? And it's kind of like, well, Nat and I personally wouldn't. I mean, we don't mind if somebody comes in like once a week to clean or do the pool or whatever. But to have somebody mm-hmm. there all the time, I'm not sure that I'd take on that sort of sit personally. That's that... Um I almost did one in Costa Rica. That's true. I was lined up to do a month there. When I got to the sit, um, the lady had been having second thoughts and was not able to go away. She lived in a very small house, but she said, well, you're welcome to stay for a week or two. I might go away for weekends. And we agreed on paying a little for food and electricity. But this is a person I just don't know. And I'm living in a in a matchbox <laughs> with this person I don't know on their property yeah. with their routines and you know the way they like things done in the kitchen and the bathroom and the soap here and the toilet roll there. <laughs> and after a week, I was going crazy because mm-hmm. it was in a remote area as well in Costa Rica. And um, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I, I'll do the house because I'm saving money on rent. But other times you think, no, this is just not appropriate. This is a house share with a stranger in their property, and this is this does not work for me. So I, I won't do those. Uh, not not all places are set up for couch surfing. No, definitely not. <laughs> that's pretty uh, much what it was. No. With, with the best <laughs> intentions, there was no malintention or anything. It was just a, a, a difference of routine and manner. Yeah. And I know that I'm always on their property at, at, as a guest of theirs. And if something isn't going comfortably it's my responsibility to change that so yeah definitely but i think you raise a good point because it's not unusual to have staff to actually manage on a house sit um, many places uh, will have housekeepers or gardeners pool cleaners that sort of thing so you are um you know I think it's natural to assume that you'd take over as the kind of quote-unquote boss. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's something to clarify with the homeowner as well. To yeah. what to what extent does that exist? Yeah, yeah the land relationship. You know, do you come in and just make sure that you're, if, if they have any problems, that they can come and see you? 
Um, other situations, you know, I've been given mountains of cash to pay the two or three visiting construction workers every day, mm. and they're, you know, you're playing, you're playing boss, definitely boss fella in this case. Um, you know, they come and they line up and, and they'll <laughs> they'll take their cap off and respectfully ask for their money every day, and that that again is a totally different experience. So. Mm. Um, and, and this is mostly in Central America. You can expect that. I'd say almost certainly you're going to have employees coming on the property and you need to be able to interact with them and make sure that you understand that relationship yes. with that, them and the owner at the same time. Have that conversation with the three of them. Well, that brings me to, you know, you said uh, you do speak Spanish um, and obviously that's been a, a huge benefit for you uh, dealing with, with all of these house sits for the last three years around Central America. Did you learn Spanish uh, back home or have you learned it more since you've been in, the, in these areas? I, I learned enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I learned <laughs> enough to get started and, and be traveling three years ago. I, I felt confident enough. And having a Colombian girlfriend that doesn't speak very much English at all, all of our communication is Spanish. Mm. And currently here in Guatemala, I'm not house-sitting right now, but I am teaching um, to a lot of local teachers and professionals. And the more I'm in that environment, the more I'm having to use my Spanish. So um, It's half and half. I started in New Zealand, but obviously being over here now, I, I dive straight into it. So it's... Um, so Very useful I, I do know that you are um, TEFL trained as well, so teaching English as a foreign language. Um, but it sounds as if, like particularly living on the ground, that you'd be very capable of uh, teaching Spanish to sort of I, fellow antipodeans, <laughs> putting our hands up first. Oh, I can certainly do that, and I, I'd certainly help you with your pronunciation, girls. <laughs> That's probably what we need. <laughs> Hasta luego. <laughs> So how's it going? Like, I mean, it is about being location independent. And yes, okay, you're you're in Guatemala at the moment teaching English. Um, you, you've taken on for a certain amount of time before you go house sitting again. Uh, you know, you, you're looking at expanding that. Um, what's your plans? Well, um, I think the house sitting is definitely changing, as you remarked earlier. It's uh, the landscape. The, the quantities of people now uh, applying and looking for both sitters and looking for homes. So I imagine I'm going to keep doing this for, for a little while yet. Obviously, being nomadic, um, how does one support oneself? You, you haven't got an office to go to. You haven't got a job to go to all the time. Um, but with technology, uh, we're able to do more and more online. So I am already offering English lessons on Skype. And by being in one place a long time, I've been here this time around nine months in this town in Guatemala. And uh, I'm now able to connect with business people who want to continue the lessons that they've already been having face-to-face -face with me. They want to continue that relationship. So I'm going to be offering them Skype lessons while mm -hmm. I'm living in Papua, while I'm living in Belize. And by having a PayPal account and which you can then download into your local bank account wherever you happen to have a bank. Um, potentially, this can still work. You can live the house-sitter life and offer that service and have other income activity of a portable nature. And to mm -hmm. me, that's you know, smaller, simpler, easier, lighter. These are all words in my vocabulary. You need to have like one bag 
well, I need to have one Mac, um, one laptop, and and something easy to move around with. Yeah. Uh, so that that's what I'm going to be exploring in the coming three to four months. Can I take this to the next level and continue teaching and building the networks online that I've been building here in one location? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's um, as you say, having those qualifications, and a lot of people look into English. Uh, teaching and stuff like that because it does provide such a good um, income for people as they're traveling around. It's a really good option for people. I do have to ask though, if you're um, traveling predominantly through Central America and stuff, how are you going with visas? Are you um, still having to abide by just tourist visa uh, timings there? Um, mostly none of it is actually visa stuff because um, a lot of these countries will give you, for example, here in Guatemala you get three months, mm -hmm. 90 days. Although that does extend through, that's 90 days in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and Nicaragua. They act as a group. Ah, so interesting. If you, okay, I didn't know that. You would have to, for me, if I, I've done this twice now, you can do a visa run to the border or a, a, an entry permit. The nearest border to me here in this part of Guatemala would be the Mexican border at Tapachula. Yeah. Other people go to Belize. Mm. Then you've definitely left the group of four. Or, when I go down to Panama, I'm leaving the group. Um, in Panama, they give you now 180 days on entry, although they have a few hoops to show. You've got to show a return air ticket now. Mm -hmm. they, they won't let you through the border if you don't show them a return air ticket. Not bus ticket, an air ticket. Oh, wow. Uh, Interesting. But usually at the moment, it's not, it, we're not talking about applying to embassies for visas. No. Only if you want to extend the permit or apply for residency, as many people do, then you're involved in that process. Mm. I guess the other good thing is Mexico is six months too, so you've actually got the 180 days six in Mexico. Months. Yeah, that's a great one, and Mexico is a huge country, you need six months. Yeah, you really do, don't you? It's fantastic, yeah. Well, it's nice though as well, I, I wasn't aware of the, of the four, if you could just repeat those four again so that people, I think this is a real you know, yes. pearl of wisdom here Definitely. because many people wouldn't know this, um, because if it's a group of 90 days, at least you can just border run. Do you know, can it just be like in the same day going across the border and coming back or do you need to be out for at least a day? <laughs> There's always an official answer to that and an unofficial answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The proof, the, pudding is, the proof of the pudding is if, if you've gone for the unofficial answer and you try to exit formally and they have swiped your passport at the unofficial <laughs> renewal, then there could be a hefty fine. And I'm fingers crossed that's not going to happen. I did. Um, you, there, are, there are agencies here that run every day to the border. They take stack loads of passports huh. they get them stamped out <laughs> and then somehow the passport gets stamped back in again oh wow within sure. four or seven sure but the 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 official story is that you go to a border you leave the country for 72 hours you come back and you get a new stamp and you start again okay okay now the, the question <laughs> about the four countries so this group is officially called CAA4, literally Central America 4, mm -hmm. and it is Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, and Nicaragua. Okay. Now, those four, if you enter at one border, let's say you enter Guatemala from Mexico, you have 90 days within that group of four. Right. If you spend 89 days in Guatemala and then think you're going to spend a week in El Salvador, 
you will encounter problems when you leave the group of four because you will have overstayed the 90 days in that group. Wow. You know, I've never heard of that before, and I wonder just how advertised that actually is. Is it? Do people know that? It's like, probably, I, I read about it in Good Old Lonely Planet two years ago. <laughs> okay. Um, but, but what I found last time I came back up from Panama, I used the, the Tika Bus service, which I can yes. also mm -hmm. recommend. We've used it's that a bit hard to do frequently. Yeah. Um, but you come up, you drive up through Costa Rica and cross into Nicaragua. They stamp your passport. But then finally, when you cross from El Salvador into Guatemala the following day, they write 89 on your stamp, not yeah. 90. The number of days. Because oh, wow. so you've already spent all, one day going through. <laughs> spent one day coming from Managua up to El Salvador. You have to spend the night in El Salvador with the Tika bus. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's where they, they take a break for the night. Right. Well, this is all very That's interesting. That's excellent. No, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that information. It's really important. <laughs> very cool. Well, to get in touch with you, if anybody, I guess, does want to um, learn more about uh, either teaching English, uh, particularly through Central America, um, or even maybe just get a little bit of friendly Spanish lessons, uh, then go along to your website. And Martin, your name is spelled M-A-R-T-I-N. So it's martinhousesitter.weebly.com. But we'll actually have a live link in the show notes there as well so everyone can, can click through. Okay. And, of course, just come through into the House Sitting World group and uh, look out for Martin Gray. And, yeah, I think it, it's fascinating uh, for people to, to get in touch, particularly because there's a real draw card to, to Central America. Mm. Uh, what we like, the idea of, of house sitting for people that may be listening to this, um, particularly homeowners, because if you're wanting to leave your home wherever it is in the world that you live and you're thinking about maybe you know, Central America might be a, a place of retirement or somewhere you'd like to go and experience as an expat, then go and do a house-sitting job first, get house-sitters in at home first, and check it out before you go and sell up everything and, and land in one of these countries thinking, oh, this is you know, the place that I want to be because I had a vacation here 10 years ago for one week. Uh, I think you really need to kind of get on the ground and experience it a bit more. Would you agree? I, I'm chuckling away here. You, you're putting it perfectly in... Um it's wonderful advice, I, I, probably better advice than even I would have given someone. Um, definitely, definitely, definitely try before you buy on both, on both <laughs> sides. And um, I, I want to just pay some acknowledgement to you girls too because the, I've only been a member of your forum on Facebook for a little while and I think you're actually raising the whole game here because as more people start to look at house sitting, firstly as a couch surfing kind of alternative yeah. or I've even heard that in New Zealand now many people are looking at it because they simply can't afford a rent yes. wow. and yeah. they're starting to look for house sitting as a rent opportunity which totally changes things here. Um, now I think it is important that homeowners, anyone listening to this who's a homeowner or thinking of engaging a house sitter for the first time, you really have got an enormous range of choice of people out there. And I think what Natalie and Jody are doing here is um, really raising the profile of the quality of service of the people homeowners need to choose from to trust with their home, their security, their employees, and their animals, their pets, mm. everything that's important to them. Um, so thank you for the, the work you're doing and the professionality that you're bringing. This interview, these services are all another level 
of, of what's happening in the House Sitting Forum. Yeah, thank you, Mum. Thank we you so much. I feel it's important too to honour people like yourself who put, you know, really do take their house sitting very seriously. Um, it is your livelihood and your lifestyle, um, as it is for us and so many others, and we do take it very, very seriously, and I think it's important for homeowners to know that. We are out there, and um, we take care of homes and pets just as much as the homeowner does. And I think we also have, uh, you know, there is a bit of that kind of collective um, reputation that we're maintaining here. You know, we definitely don't want to have one of our quote-unquote peers going and doing sort of the wrong thing by somebody because it reflects badly on all of us. So, um, yeah. yeah. It works both ways. It works both ways. See, we've, we've all remember the... The old days of the car salesman, the insurance salesman, and the double glazing salesman <laughs> that I grew up in England years ago. Um, you know, you, we don't we don't want house sitting to become this. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm speaking out of turn here, but I I I want the I want to see the level of professionality and service to the fore all the time with what we do as house sitters. Because if there aren't houses to sit, if nobody trusts us, um, we're out on a limb. We only get to live in these great places because people need quality service. They're not in the giving free holiday business. We're in the <laughs> caring business. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very different perspective. So, you know, just encouraging anyone listening to this who's even thinking about starting to house sit. You know, raise your game. Step up. Offer service, be professional, get references, do good work, and um, and keep you know raising the uh, the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, definitely. Well, Martin Gray, I think after eight years and your absolute pearls of wisdom just then, and I really think you've hit the nail on the head about what house sitting is truly about, which is service um, on both sides of the fence. Um, you really are a house sitting legend. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we thank you Thanks so much for sharing everything with us today. It's been wonderful. Yeah, you've had some great pulls there. It's been great to be, uh, to be put under the, under the microscope. Here, <laughs> well, you did well. <laughs> Very okay. cool. All right, we shall see you in the house sitting world. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, Martin. Well, Martin has certainly busted the myth that solo guys can't get house sits. To connect with Martin, be sure to visit the show notes for episode 11 at housesittinglegends.com, where you will find the links to his website and his book. In the next episode, we talk to Michelle Frost from Australia, who now travels the world with her family of five. She shares what it's like having three teenagers on the road, how they manage with world schooling, and how on not one, but two of their early house sits, they handled a pet dying, every sitter's worst nightmare. If you're enjoying the show, please swing on over and leave us a positive rating and review on iTunes. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.